either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Welcome back into the screening room. Got a little bit of everything this week. We've got Netflix. We've got VOD. We've got actual movies in the theaters. What? Yeah. And we'll check them all out. Welcome. This is the screening room. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from MadWolf.com. And let's start with a woman's life being turned upside down when her criminal parents invite an outsider to join them on a major heist that they're planning. This is called Kajillionaire. You're addicted to them. They're my parents. In what sense? We split everything three ways. We have since I was little. I don't want to do it that way this time. Don't. So you want us to be false, fakey people. I always thought it was insulting to treat you like a child. And I thought we agreed on that. We can only ever be how we are. How did I fail? This is the way the big one starts. If you're lucky, you'll get crushed. And then you'll you'll just die right then and there. This is the latest from writer-director Miranda July, who hasn't done anything for almost 10 years. Uh, She did Me and You and Everyone We Know. Yes, which was great. And then The Future, Mm -hmm. and now this. And uh, and this is actually one that I was surprised to see that she's not starring in, because she had starred in the the previous one, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, this one stars Evan Rachel Wood, Richard Jenkins, and an, an almost unrecognizable Deborah Winger. And uh, Gina Rodriguez. Right, right. Yeah, it's a great cast. It's such a great cast, and each one of them is just spectacular. Of course, you expect that from Deborah Winger, and I think uh, especially Richard Jenkins. And they play the parents in this uh, con artist family. And, and it's, um, it's an eccentric, absurd comedy uh, and one of the things that you, you notice right away, I mean, this is definitely not Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> no. Uh, in fact, uh, it's funny. They, they make mention of Ocean's Eleven at one point in the movie because there is less than no glamour going on here. They're basically just skimming to survive. So right. it's much closer to, you know what, not even Parasite, more even like shoplifters. Yeah. You know, where they're, they, he refers to himself as if they're skimmers. Mm-hmm. They're just sort of... Skimming off the top yep. of society and trying to make it. Yeah, they're not getting rich. That's just no. how they survive. Uh, uh, but but everything is a scam. There is nothing straightforward about anything that they do. It's very, very, very interesting. You know what it reminded me a little bit of, before it went in another direction, was that Jason Bateman movie, The Family Fang. Yeah. How they had to grow up with these really offbeat parents yes. who had totally different ideas about raising kids. Right. Yeah, it's sort of a similar theme, but then it goes in, enough, in a different direction. And Evan Rachel Wood plays Old Dolio. That's her name. Yeah. Old Dolio. They named her after a guy in the neighborhood who uh, won the lottery, hoping that then when he died, he would leave them some money. But he didn't. And so she's just stuck with the name Old Dolio. Which is hilarious in itself. And she, um, it's clear that she's been raised not as part of the family as much as part of the con, part of the team. They split everything three ways. I mean, and there's no sort of paternal affection here at all. And so her, her performance is fascinating because she's more like an alien who's here on Earth to sort of observe and imitate, you know, I've seen her in a lot of things and I think that she's very talented, but she's just spectacular in creating this bizarre presence mm-hmm. 
that still somehow anchors a movie. You know, the scenery, the colors, the weird stuff that goes on. It's really great to look at. It, again, it's one of those movies that people are going to refer to as eccentric or quirky. Yes. But it is incredibly smart and really, really layered. And just when you think this is maybe too dry and weird for me, Gina Rodriguez's character shows up. And she just effervesces right off the screen. And it changes the whole tone of the movie in such a lovely way. Nobody makes movies quite like Miranda July. They really don't. Right. And she has a really devoted group of fans. She's not well-known or mainstream by any means. But, uh, boy, the people that dig her movies really, really do. And it's interesting you bring up how it looks because this is not the type of movie that you would think, oh, that's a big screen type movie. But it's opening in some theaters across the country. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the way it looks is very beneficial to see it on the big screen. Yeah, the way she shoots certain scenes of, like, awkward movement and color. And then there's so it's so um, where they live which is an abandoned uh, office space. They sleep in separate cubicles in an abandoned office space that shares a wall with (laughs) a uh, car wash. wash. And so uh, twice a day, three times on Wednesdays, they have to be back there to scoop the the pink goo suds that roll through from the car wash. They have to catch it all with trash cans and then dry off the wall. So... And it's such a spectacular sort of metaphor for the entire existence, this surreal image of this pink fuzz coming down the walls, and yet this rigid, rigid, rigid lifestyle. Yeah. It's perfect. And it's those, she writes in those kind of idiosyncratic details yeah, yeah. that are just so well-developed. And you have a cast like this to oh, really flesh it out. Yeah. And yeah, you're right, smart and funny. And very uh, deserving of seeing it on the big screen, if you can, if it's in your area. The latest from Miranda July. We really liked it. Called Kajillionaire. Let's go to Netflix next. When Sherlock Holmes's teen sister discovers her mother missing, she sets off to find her, becoming a super sleuth in her own right as she outwits her famous brother and unravels a dangerous conspiracy around a mysterious young lord. It's Enola Holmes. A week ago, I awoke. Mother? To find that my mother was missing. And she did not return. I'm presently on the way to collect my brothers, Mycroft and Sherlock. Yes, Sherlock Holmes, the famous detective, my genius brother. He will have all the answers. Enola. Where's your hat and your gloves? Well, I have a hat. Just makes my head itch. And I have no gloves. My God. A wild woman brought up a wild child. She seems intelligent. There are two paths you can take, Enola. Yours or the path others choose for you. It is time to find my mother. The game is afoot. (laughs) This is based on a novel, and it is, again, it's Netflix, and it's PG-13. It's a good one for the family, especially for teens, teen girls, and it is led by just a charming performance by Millie Bobby Brown as... Sherlock Holmes' teen sister, Enola. The whole cast is great, mm-hmm. and, and I think it's to her credit that she can really anchor a movie. She can be the center of attention when the, the orbiting around her is Helena Bottom Carter, Henry Cavill, Sam Claflin, and there's a much bigger cast. I mean, there's a lot of supporting characters around here as she sort of goes from, you know, from the estate where she lives to London mm-hmm. and tools around, finding clues. And she's often breaking the fourth wall. She's often talking to us as Mm -hmm. what's going on, filling us in, trying to find uh, her her mother. And it's interesting because the other, uh, Sam Claflin plays the other Holmes, Mycroft Holmes. 
And he is is not a fan of her being independent and in any way. He wants her to just be molded, sort of my fair ladyish, Pygmalionish, into society and be a fine lady. And she Broken. has yes, yes, and she has no interest in that. And that's where it's got a nice. Often, I think the writing is very contemporary yes. about some of the issues that it brings up, and it, and it's in its feminist message, which is nice for for young teens. And she uh, gets off on this adventure, which is fun, I think, for really anyone who might be watching it. It's a really smart script because I think every everybody who watches the movie can feel for this very bright human being who wants to be able to decide her own fate, right. and it's not in her hands. But the larger story it's telling is that very conflict. It's about the old guard where just really white men with money get to decide the fate of everybody and everybody else going, we don't like your decisions. Uh-huh. And so it, it's um, it's a great way to humanize uh, the the larger sort of struggle within humanity. I think it does a great job without really beating you about the neck. Yeah, the director is Harry Bradbeer, who comes mainly from TV, but good, good TV, good TV like Fleabag and Killing Eve, mm-hmm. and uh, we haven't seen those, but we've right. heard good we- things. <laughs> <laughs> and strangely, we both thought uh, casting Henry Cavill as Sherlock Holmes is interesting because. You think when you hear he's in a movie that he's probably going to be the lead or or a co-lead, a co-superhero, and he's not here. And he's playing such a legendary character Mm -hmm. in popular culture that it's an interesting choice um, and sometimes seems out of place. He's so, you know, he's He's so so big. He's so broad and he looks like a superhero. Yeah, and you're thinking to yourself, where in London in the 1800s (laughs) did you find all of that iron to pump? I mean, he's just, you know, and I mean, he's charming and, and he does a nice job and he's got some nice chemistry with with Millie Bobby Brown, but he he did the whole time. He just didn't seem like he fit physically in this yeah. world. Yeah, and and even a, a role that I think maybe it's it's nice that he took it, but mm-hmm. it, it might be one that I think when scripts come in, I could have seen his agent going no, because it's yeah. it's not it's not the big starring role. No, it's but, not the big but starring it, role. It's part of a, a really fun ensemble. And it's a nice contrast with Sam Claflin, who plays his very... It's almost like Niles and Fraser Crane yeah. as they go yeah. back and forth with each other. You but, know, and I, I love... Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of... We're going to... We don't know how to pronounce his name, Claflin or Claflin. We don't know. But I'm <laughs> a big fan of his because he's a bit of a chameleon, I yeah, think. he's got range. He uh-huh. does a great job, I think, as a character actor because he's, you know... He's got a big, ridiculous handlebar mustache on in this movie, which is great and very fitting. But, you know, when he's just regular cleaned up, he's every bit of a a matinee idol looking kind of a guy. But he does a great job of disappearing into roles so he can play, I think, a broader range. And I think he does a great job. Yeah, but this is really carried by Millie Bobby Brown. And she has got a lot of personality and a lot of spunk. And she makes this very easy to watch, very easy to root for her character, even though it is a little long. It's a little over two hours, yeah. and it starts to feel it just a little bit, yeah. but not enough to uh, to not earn a recommendation. We thought it was a lot of fun. It's on Netflix, Enola Holmes. Next up, who's ready for another sexy assassin? Ava is a deadly assassin who works for a black ops organization traveling the globe specializing in high-profile hits. When a job goes dangerously wrong, she is forced to fight for her own survival this got green lit. It's called Ava. You did something bad. I wouldn't have sent me if you had. Who was responsible? The company had nothing to do with it. You don't believe that, Duke. You keep breaking protocol. I asked you to marry me, and then you just disappear for eight years. She's always been Duke's favorite, but she's a loose cannon. 
and a dangerous civic organization. I want her killed. This got greenlit 300 times. I mean, this is such a common... And you know what? I will never be able to see the high-end assassin gone rogue the same way since we saw Possessor, which we can't talk about for a couple of weeks, but it's ruined the genre for me. Right. Exactly right. Um, But this has a fantastic cast, and that's what really makes it even more of a disappointment. Jessica Chastain plays Ava. John Malkovich is her boss. Gina Davis is her mom. Colin Farrell is another guy high high up in the Black Ops organization. Joan Chen stops by for a, a small part. Common, uh, common, because it's a movie. Jess Wexler from uh, Teeth. Teeth plays her sister. So there's a lot of great talent here that is really wasted. I was I was bored by this. There's really just not much to like about it. The writing, as you pointed out, is nothing but a bag of daddy issues oh my. and cliches. The the fight choreography is weak yeah. and not staged well. No. There's a couple of scenes between Colin Farrell and John Malkovich that are fun. Yeah. But boy, this was just a big old letdown. It really was. And um and I think that Jessica Chastain is a, is a, a perfectly fine choice to play a badass. But I just don't think director Tate Taylor was cut out to make an action film. I think, you know, uh, because for one thing, she does a lot of running, right? She does a lot of running as part of her job, right, as an assassin. She's also like a jogger. That's what she does. Jessica Chastain, again, I'm a massive fan, and I think she is profoundly talented. She's not a runner. But here's the funny thing, and we say this all the time. If you're out driving and you pass a, a, a runner... A lot of people run funny. Yeah. They just do. I'm sure I do, too. Right. And they, but but you got to, if they're going to be on screen running, have someone work with them. It's just that it adds to the to the fact that our, all her, uh, so much of her, her real rough and tumble scenes don't look authentic. No, not at all. And, you know, and I've seen her play characters that have a lot of physicality to them before. I just feel like he did not know how to shoot it. I agree, because it adds to the, the fight's. Not only do they not look authentic, but then, yeah, the way they're staged are not exciting at all. No, And, and we hate to come keep coming back to how much of a badass Charlize Theron is. But look at some some of her in the in the old guard oh, or yeah. in the one where she was the sexy assassin yeah, yeah, yeah. with um, the, Atomic Blonde. Atomic Blonde. That's so, the deal right there. That's choreography. That is flight choreography. And that's well staged, well filmed. On the other hand, and again, I, was like, I feel like I'm saying bad things about Jessica Chastain, which I hate to do because I love her. But Charlie Theron was a dancer. So, and that's one of the things is that I remember the story about how for Atomic Blonde, they set out like four days for her to learn that big, big, big long. And she had it down before anybody else did Mm -hmm. because she's used to learning really difficult choreography. So not everybody can be a physical badass like her, but a good director knows how to shoot around that. And and that's, but that's not the only problem here. I mean, it it starts, it starts with the writing. Oh, which is, And even when I was reading that synopsis, I mean, that just sounds like the most cliched, that's the thing. You could cut and paste the, that same synopsis yeah, the, the, into about 35 different movies, especially if you don't specify that she's a female. Yeah. Then it could be 50 different movies. Yeah, it's 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 really disappointing. It's not nearly as bad as Anna. Right, that was the worst of this subset. I think so. One mm-hmm. of the worst movies I've seen in, in years. That was just from a couple of years ago. But, but still, uh, and it's out on VOD starting this weekend and just really disappointed. Not a whole lot to, to keep your interest no. in Ava.
Next is a story about a woman who seems to have it all. Two kids, a nice house, good job as a teacher, and a husband with his career on the way up. But there are some troubling signs that all is not right in her world. This is The Swerve. You're drooling. Huh. I was the one. Those two kids in the paper. I ran them off. This is the debut feature for writer-director Dean Capsalis, and impressive mainly because it's driven by a very impressive performance, lead performance. Yeah. Well, to be honest with you, the entire cast is just impeccable, but Azura Sky is the lead. She plays... The mom. Holly. Holly. And um, she's just a shell of a human being. She's just on her last nerve from the the opening scene where she's laying awake waiting for the alarm to go off. And, And it's such a believable performance. And so much of it is not even verbal. It's it's. The, the second she takes to react to something, it's the hollowed eyes. It's it's so authentic. It's so not showy. Um, and at the same time, it's just it's just really aching. And you feel like you know where this movie is going. There are some elements, you know, toward the middle where you're like, I'm not sure all of this is necessary or really going anywhere. But it absolutely salvages any concerns you may have because where it goes you didn't expect you don't expect and that again sky's performance will just break you yeah this is one that shows a a writer director of of great promise i mean he's done a couple of shorts Mm -hmm. and now this is his first feature and i think this is one that shows that he's got we've got another another filmmaker here with major Talent and uh, and the lead actress as well because I had not seen her in anything. No, I'm I'm excited to see her in more to do more things because she was just wonderful. And again, I do want to say the whole cast is great and and the way that they write characters who in other films the same type of character comes off as as cliched and and uh, Bryce Pinkham plays her husband who could so easily have been a one note in movies like this where the woman is you know on the verge of a nervous breakdown a woman on the edge right and he's not he's. Not a good guy, but he's very charming, and there's sincerity in the relationship. There's a chemistry that feels real, which means that when it is sort of tearing apart, you feel something. It's not like, oh, I knew that was coming. You feel for her that these things are happening and that these relationships, they're very complicated, all of the relationships in the, in the film, which I think is one of the things that drives it. But also, it is it really does. It delivers just a kick to the gut. Yeah, and this is a, a bargain streaming VOD uh, title, just uh, four ninety nine for this one, so definitely worth Watch it, it, called The Swerve. Got a science fiction film next. A fatally ill man tries to secure the future of his family in a world where the toxicity of the sun forces people to stay inside during the daytime. It's LX 2048. Sunburn cutoff is 7.22 p.m. and toxic level drop-off is 8.05. The big heat-up happened. It created this desperate need for augmented day workers. And human cloning was born. You're on premium three. When you're a dad, you'll be eligible for a total upgrade. I wouldn't want to live without you, okay? Is that such a bad thought? You can tailor your insurance spouse so that maybe they come back to you just perfect. There's nothing to do, baby. It's already been done. 
calm down. Or it's gonna be very messy. One person can set something in motion, and the rest of the world is never the same again. This one was hard, I think, to decide if it was trying to be sort of absurdly humorous. And sometimes those scenes worked on their own, but didn't work with the overall film at yeah, all. Yeah, uh, that was one of the problems here. It was uh, hard hard to find a consistent tone. But I'll tell you, after the, the opening sequence, the opening credits, incredibly cheesy, I thought, <laughs> and really set the stage. For me, set the bar pretty low. And then it started rising up again. Right, so right, right. That's kind of uh, what this movie does. It's from writer-director Guy Moshi, who's also the producer, who's also the editor. So uh, he's, yeah, he's all over this. And it's got some decent science fiction ideas. As you heard in the synopsis, the sun, you can't basically go outside anymore unless you're in a full hazmat suit. And that has spawned a bigger need for clone technology, for day, day workers mm-hmm. who are clones and can go out in the, uh, in the sun. And then there's a bunch of other things going on. The lead, uh, the lead actor is James Darcy? James Darcy. Yeah, he plays Adam Bird, and he finds he's... He's having a bad time. He's got a he's got a tech firm and VR has taken over. But it seems like now that's about to be eclipsed by the chip, microchip technology. So his his uh, tech firm is kind of on shaky ground. His uh, relationship with his wife, played by Anna Brewster and his two kids, not a good relationship there. And then he finds out, "Oh, your heart is failing and you're going to die." And the other factor about this movie is it turns out we start seeing flashbacks of what happened in the previous years when they had a good relationship, they bought this insurance policy called Premium 3 that basically, in the event of your spouse's death, you can order a clone of them and have them back, but you can make improvements about things that you didn't like about them. So, how nice is that? So, one thing leads to another, and he ends up meeting his clone, and and then there's Delroy Lindo, who pops up as sort of the father of clone technology, you get an additional star, or yes. at least a half a star, for having Delroy Lindo in your movie. Exactly. That's exactly right. So there's a lot going on, and there's existential crises of the sci-fi variety about playing God and identity and what it means to be human. And I get all that, and some of it works, and some of it is very interesting. And, and after the opening, you've also got some pretty decent visuals. Mm-hmm. But then you've got with this VR, and it really hurts. I thought it really hurt James Darcy's performance, where he has to react like wearing one of those VR helmets, and talk to an avatar that we don't see and, and or hear. And that requires him to fill in the gaps for us. Restating what restating, the other person would be saying. Which is not so what false. you would do. It right. looks phony. It, it's, it just, yeah, it's not how someone would talk. No. And it's done for our benefit. I get that. But it really adds a phoniness to some scenes in his performance that, that really hurt. And then, it, you, like you said, it goes into some absurdist humor, and you're wondering, okay, was this intended? And if so, this is kind of a whiplash uh, tone yeah. to, to follow in this movie. But still, there are some things of value here, especially if you're a sci-fi fan. It does bring up some good some good ideas. Uh, Delroy Lindo, as you said, always right. always a welcome presence. It's just kind of like, whoo, it, need, it needs an anchor for some of these ideas. And that is uh, LX. 2048. I would recommend this if you're a really big sci-fi fan. Otherwise, it might be hard to find a real reason to to stick with it. But uh, hard hardcore sci-fi fans, you might dig it. A documentary next. In a time of growing inequality in America, there is one asset that remains in the hands of the American people. The 640 million acres of America's public lands. And this is the fight to keep them public 
public trust. When the sun comes shining. We are spiritually and culturally connected to uh, this land. People will say, oh, the public land belongs to all the people. Belongs to all the people, I'd like them to tell me which part is mine because I want to sell it. There's an enormous well-heeled movement to take lands away from the American people. To make vast sums of money for somebody and change our country forever. But what's at stake is this enormous common wealth, the American system of public lands. And I don't say we have the right to it. That's not it. You have the right to whatever you're willing to fight for. This land was made It's hard, I think, right now to focus. There are so many massive, overwhelming concerns. It's hard to just focus on one. And I feel like this one, you know, because it doesn't involve people dying immediately this one is 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 going un sort of detected and that in itself is just crushing yeah and it's it's another one with a rallying cry that is very timely since there's a big election coming up and it's the executive producers Robert Redford of course who we all know has been a long time environmental activist and the uh, director is David Byers who did a film a couple of years ago no Man's Land, also an environmental documentary about the fight in Oregon, that Bundy yeah. standoff thing. Right, right. So here, it's about these public lands and how for decades now, starting with, big surprise, Ronald Reagan, the mainly the conservative side has been trying to privatize them and, right. and, and make money off of these as, as much as they can. And, and as good documentarians do, Byers humanizes this through people that we get to know who are very involved. You've got a, a reporter... A journalist involved in it. You've got a, a climate change warrior, and then you've got this this tri- this Native American tribe, and how they are trying to protect lands that are that are their livelihood, their sustenance. Yeah. Uh, and it you really get caught up in it that way. And it's a great way to get to make the uh, issue very personal, and it shows you how things, of course, as almost everything has here in the last few years, gotten even more dire because now with the administration that's in now. Things that you thought would just be off the table are possibly on the table. Oh, sure, and you're absolutely. How bad can this get? So you're right. Right now, so many of these documentaries that are coming out, for obvious reasons, bring up so many issues. But this is a big one. It really is, especially for anyone concerned about the environment. And and it's just another example of rigging the game. Yeah. The 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 results of massive wealth inequality. And how much of a mess we're in right now and how much we have to take the first step toward changing it on Election Day. And yeah. that is the urgency of this documentary. And it does. It's it's very workmanlike. There's no flash to it, which kind of goes along with the Robert Redford persona. Right. Not real flashy there, but it's just a, a workmanlike presentation of the history of the issue, why it's so important, where we are now, and, and basically... A call to action. A call to action, and that starts in November. So uh, definitely was in was really caught up and engaged by public trust, and it is streaming now. And one more documentary, this one also with current events on its mind. It's a film about the power of women, hope, and resistance in modern American politics. After the 2016 elections, we follow six diverse Americans as they fight for social justice on the streets and in the halls of power. It's resistorhood. And he had the audacity to ask... Why couldn't I vote for him? What did I have to lose? 
everything. There's an incredible amount of opportunity now for all of us to rise up and to really stand for something. Let's rise up! Let's march on Washington! Our footsteps and our voices will be heard! Now you can check out the written review for this film at MedWolf.com. This is written by Rachel Willis. And it's basically much of what we were just talking about. This is a reminder that complacency is the enemy. And if you want to affect change, you must participate. Yeah, it's and, and it shows, I think it's a little more hopeful than some of the documentaries that we've seen because it shows how effective this has been to remind you, keep it up. Right. As we've talked before about documentaries, any documentary that presents such a problem, it's it almost always it has to leave you with some hope. Yeah. And as with the last documentary and this one, too, and so many that are coming out right now, that hope obviously begins at the ballot box. And this is another example of that. Again, you can read Rachel's review at MadWolf.com, but uh, she did recommend Resistorhood. And that takes us to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Back in the lobby to get our weekly dose of good news from the schlocketeer, <laughs> Daniel Baldwin. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of we have a feeling about what you're going to say. Just everything big has gotten pushed back, I guess, huh? Pretty much. Um, of course, we've, we've talked about the fact that Disney was probably going to do this, but they finally pulled the trigger. Black Widow has been moved to May of 2021. Uh, the Ben Affleck-Adrian Lyon movie has been moved from October to August of next year. Steven Spielberg's West Side Story has been pushed back a full year to December 2021. <sighs> and uh, Death on the Nile, Kenneth Branagh's new Poirot movie has been pushed back from October to December of this year, on December 18th specifically, but who knows how, you know, whether that'll hold or not. Right. <laughs> the only movie that they moved up was a Fox horror thriller that they still have called The Empty Man, and they placed it on October 23rd where Death on the Nile was, and I'm guessing that's just more of a sacrificial land thing like New Mutants where they're right. not allowed to send it to a streaming service, so they're just leaving it out there to die. Yeah, maybe they but, think, yeah. you know, October, maybe they think people will, will go to the theater to see a scary movie. Yeah. Or maybe it's just bad. Well, hopefully not, but... <laughs> <laughs> this is what you've been kind of saying for the last few weeks, that it's just drip, 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 and then they're just going to just pull the plug. Yeah. The only good news that I really have is that this isn't official, but supposedly, you know, Universal's putting out Freaky and The Croods 2 in November in theaters and drive-ins. Mm -hmm. And since they shortened that theatrical window earlier in the year, supposedly both of those will be hitting VOD sometime in in uh, December. So anyone who can't make it out to a theater to see them could possibly still be able to see both films this year. Nice. So that's that's uh, the bright side to all of this doomsaying. Right, yeah. <laughs> well, see, that's good. Leave on a good note. That's right. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, more good news next week from Daniel Baldwin. You can find him at The Schlocketeer. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. All right, right now it looks like we've got a full slate next week. Yep, On the Rocks. On the Rocks, that's Bill Murray and uh, Rashida Jones, the latest from Sofia Coppola, who had such great success with Bill Murray and Lost in Translation. Yes, I'm so, so excited for that looking one. Looking forward to that. Gloria Steinem pick, The Glorious. Yes, Scare Me. Death of Me. Eternal Beauty with Sally Hawkins. I'm looking forward oh, to that one, too. Sally, yeah. Love Sally Hawkins. 12-hour shift. That doesn't sound fun. No, it's another horror movie, so... Like it. A, a, call. Ca a Call to Spy. 
the hosts. Devil to Pay, one that we have liked for quite some time. Yeah, we got to see it at Nightmares Film Festival last year, and we are so excited that you will get to see it now. Yes, exactly. And one more, Save Yourselves. And so, there could be more. There could be. As there often are, so uh, we'll find out then. But in the meantime, let us know what you thought about any of the movies this week. We always love to keep the conversation going. You can find us on Twitter, at Mad Wolf. On Facebook and Instagram, that's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website, where you can find all of our written reviews. And our other horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club. All that fun is right there at madwolf.com. So we always appreciate you stopping by the screening room. Do us a favor, if you would, and subscribe, rate, and review. Thank you so much. Until next week, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>